So this uh, afternoon I was sitting on my back porch and has, has anybody gotten to spend some time outside today? Yeah, top-notch day, right? Absolutely perfect and beautiful. I mean, not one degree less or one degree more. It's like just perfect. And uh, off the corner of our, our porch, uh, we, uh, we planted a, a magnolia tree a few years ago. I don't know if you guys are very familiar with those trees, but... They, uh, they have these big, beautiful, like, tulip blossoms that come up as they're in bloom. That's why we planted it, because as we walked around the block, we saw some neighbors with magnolia trees, and we coveted those trees. And so we decided to go ahead and plant one in our own yard. Oh, my goodness. It was glorious today, though, because I was sitting there in this magnolia tree. A week ago, it was just a bunch of little buds all over the branches. But today, those buds have become full-bloom blossoms. And they were all just opened up as wide as they could get. And the sun was coming down perfectly on those little blossoms. And I thought, man, look at those little, those little flowers just drinking up that sunlight. And it hit me right then and there. It's like, man, that is exactly my prayer for tonight's meeting. Like those flower blossoms, we would be able to just drink in the sunlight and the glory of God and the gospel. Um, Because when we read the gospel, all we have to do is read it. And there is such weight and power and majesty and beauty in the gospel. You know, I think we, we run into a lot of people and if we start to even breathe a word about Jesus, they, they just put their hands up and they go, you know what? I don't need that. I don't want to hear that. I grew up in church listening to that. I know what you're trying to tell me. But you know what? I would like to just invite anyone and everyone just to open their, the Bible for themselves and just read the gospel. Just read. Read about what Jesus did. Because what Jesus did when he went to the cross was he glorified God in the most magnificent and amazing and wonderful way. And if that's true, and this is the word of God, and God's spirit is alive and well and has been sent into this world to work on the hearts of men, to draw them to this Savior who died on the cross for their sins, if all of that's true, and you read this book, these words, It will have force. It will have impact on you. Because this is not the word of man. Years ago, you couldn't couldn't have told me that. I was a skeptic. I hadn't put, I hadn't believed in Jesus. I was afraid to do that. Because I love my own life. And it was reading through the Gospel of John that it was like, looking at myself in the mirror and I saw these Pharisees and these hypocrites and the way they hated Jesus and they hated the truth. And I couldn't help but see myself in that story and say, man, I'm just like that. But the more and more I read the pages and the words off the pages of the gospel, the more that it it just worked in my life and worked in my heart. And so I'm, it's a joy and honor and a privilege just to stand before you tonight 
I'm mainly just going to read to you about the gospel. I'm going to read the words off the pages. I want you to hear these things. And, and uh, don't tell yourself you've, already, you've heard it all before. Don't tell yourself that. Because I promise you, as you hear these things, there will be sentence after sentence that just strikes you off the page like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that. I've never seen that. I, didn't, I, I don't even think I've ever heard that before. And yet it's right here in the Bible. So I want you to see tonight in John chapters 11 through uh, 19. And we're not going to read all of it. But I'm going to read selections to help you see and reflect on and meditate on the glory of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is weighty. It is heavy. It is powerful. It is captivating. So in John chapter 11, Jesus is one of his best friends named Lazarus was dead or he was dying. And Jesus was well aware of that. In fact, he he wanted uh, to wait until after Lazarus died and Jesus wanted to arrive. He wanted to go to that funeral and raise Lazarus from the dead. And here's why. If you look in John chapter 11, look at what it says at verse one. And you need your Bibles tonight. OK, please. Because what we're going to do is we're going to read some scripture. And then here in a few minutes, I'm going to have Jordan come up and just play through um, the verses of that first hymn. We're not going to sing. He's just going to play through the verses. And after we've read all of all the scripture, I'm going to leave you alone with your Bibles and with God. And I just want you to meditate on it and reflect on what we've talked about. Okay. so as we're reading tonight, feel free to underline things, um, write things down in a notebook or whatever you want to do. But listen. And we're going to give you some time to reflect. John chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Look further down in the story. Jesus had come to the funeral of Lazarus. He had, he had died and his sisters were weeping and Jesus himself had wept. And in verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not, in, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So Jesus said, 
This sickness is not unto death, but it is unto the glory of God. And then he prayed. And he asked the question, do you believe that you'll see the glory of God? And then he raised this man from the dead. And God was glorified. God, Jesus showed the glory of God. In chapter 12, we're moving on here to the week of Passover when Jesus would be crucified. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Mary served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And then the crowds catch wind that Jesus has come back into town after raising Lazarus from the dead. And look at verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. How would you like to be Lazarus? You get raised from the dead, and the next thing you know, people are trying to put you to death because Jesus showed off the glory of God by raising you. Verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So they were proclaiming that Jesus was their king. They were wanting to crown him king. They were wanting to make him king of the nation. They're quoting Psalm 118, which was a, 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 an explicitly messianic psalm. And they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. This is him, the long-awaited Messiah. Here he comes. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. You couldn't miss this. All the miracles that had performed, the, the glory of God and the raising of Lazarus, all of these people crowding together to see Jesus riding down the Mount of Olives on a donkey, just like the prophet Zechariah said what happened to the Messiah. You couldn't miss it. His disciples, however, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, key word, glorified, Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So everybody's talking about what Jesus did and how he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the whole reason that everybody gathered together was thronging around Jesus on the on the. uh, Palm Sunday was because of the miracle of Lazarus, because the glory of God had been shining when Jesus raised him from the dead. And people saw that glory and they were attracted to that glory. And so they came on that day and they were cheering for him. So the Pharisees said in verse 19 to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Guys, if he wanted to take the throne of Israel that day, he could have done it. It was his. They were ready to crown him king. They were singing his praises. It's a good thing Jesus wasn't full of himself. It's a good thing that Jesus wasn't uh, worshiping himself and obsessed with his own glory in that sense. He had come to glorify his father. 
And you're going to see how that's tied together with his own glory here in a few minutes. So I don't want that to be mistaken. But you're going to see here in just a minute that Jesus was obsessed and he had a passion to glorify God. And that's why he turned down the crown. He could have had the crown. You and I could go to hell and deserve it. And he could have been crowned king because he deserved that. But he turned down the crown right here. This is where he did it. He said, no, I don't want that. That temporary crown. I don't want the praises of men. I don't want to be enthroned on the praises of men in that sense. Look at verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, some Gentiles, some non-Jews. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? To be glorified. See the glorified, the glorification there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Look at how Jesus thought about his life. He saw himself as a seed. The purpose for my life is to die and to be buried in the ground like a seed and to spring up and to come up and through that new life to give life to you, to me, to the nations. Look at what he says in verse 25. Whoever loves his life and whoever loves his life loses it. If you love your life, if you're a selfish person, if you don't lay down your life for God's sake, you will lose your life in the end. You think you gain your life by holding on to it, by being in control of your life? You're being deceived. Because if you love your life, Jesus said, you will lose it. You will suffer the loss forever. Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life, whoever disowns his life, whoever gives up his life, that is, in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now look at what he says in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. Jesus, why are you troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Notice that Jesus does not pray, save my life. Why? Because he doesn't love his life. He's willing to forsake his life. He's willing to give up his life for something greater, for the glory of God. And so he prays in verse 28, the same prayer that should be on our lips day and night. Father, glorify your name. God, don't save my life. Glorify your name. That's the prayer. That's the prayer to remember. That's the prayer that God would be glorified through our lives. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I think he's talking back to Lazarus. Yeah, I did glorify my name. I raised that man from the dead and I'll raise you from the dead. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. 
And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus is bent on glorifying God. That is his passion. That is his mission. That is his purpose. That is why he came. He is not going to settle for anything less. He's dead set on glorifying God. But no matter how much Jesus did through his miracles, and no matter how much he says, some people will never get it. They don't want to get it. Look at what it says in in verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. What did Isaiah say? Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear fear of the Pharisees, that is for fear of man, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? Because they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see what John is saying in his book over and over again in these in these pages? that Jesus set out to glorify God. So let's see how he did it. How did Jesus glorify God? What does it look like to glorify God with your life? In chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. I love that in in, in verse one. Look at what it says. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the uttermost or to the fullest or to the end. The Greek word means to the fullest or to the completion. He completed his love for them. How did he do it? He stooped down and he washed their feet. That's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing to serve God in the way that Jesus did. The next story is in verse 21 where Judas where Jesus identifies Judas as the betrayer. He says, one of you will betray me tonight. (laughs) Even though you've been with me this whole time and you've seen my glory over and over and over again, you still do not believe one of you is going to lead me. And then he identified Judas. In verse 27, it says, after he had taken a morsel of bread, Jesus had given that morsel to uh, Judas And after Judas took the morsel of bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do it quickly. That's a chilling verse. Can you imagine Jesus at the Last Supper? He takes this bread. He hands it to Judas. Right then, Satan slips inside of his soul. His whole countenance changes to complete darkness. And he says, what you're going to do, do quickly. The Lord commanded Satan and Satan left. It's a chilling verse. 
It shouldn't surprise us that Satan entered him. He had so many opportunities to believe. And he turned them down over and over and over again. In fact, he was a thief. He was the, the, the treasurer for the 12 disciples, and he used to help himself to the funds that were in it, stealing from God, robbing God of his glory, you might say. In verse 31, it said, When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man, what? Glorified. And God is glorified in him. Now watch what he says here. It sounds a little confusing. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. How is God going to be glorified in Jesus? Through his obedience, through his love, through his sacrifice. By taking the cup, we're going to see that in a few minutes, that Jesus is going to take the cup from God. He's going to take the cup of the punishment, of suffering, of wrath that belonged to you and me, and God's going to give it to him, and Jesus is going to take that cup. If God is glorified in him, that is through Jesus' obedience, look at what it says next. God will also glorify him in himself. Well, how would God glorify Jesus? By raising him from the dead. And he will glorify him at once. It won't take long. Jesus isn't going to stay in the tomb. His flesh will not see corruption. He will be raised on the third day, just like he said. In chapter 14, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's giving them his last words. Look at what it says in verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Speaking of Satan, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me. Why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. Look at how Jesus understands love and obedience and glorifying God. He's like, the world has to see that I love the Father. That's why I'm going to the cross. When I go to the cross, it will glorify God. Why? Because it shows how much I love the Father, that I don't love my life. I'm willing to hate my life. I'm willing to give it up my life, surrender and sacrifice my life in order that God may be glorified. John chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the same kind of mindset. John chapter 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and by this you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So how is God glorified? By bearing much fruit, verse 8. And in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I keep the Father's commandments. When we abide in, in, the, in the love of Christ and we obey His commandments, we will glorify God as we bear fruit. 
John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays for his disciples. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Do what? Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, whom you have sent. Verse four, I have glorified you on earth. How? How did Jesus glorify God on the earth? I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 10. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Why did God send Jesus into the world? To glorify God through obeying him. And and Jesus says, I am sending you out in that same way to bring glory to God through obedience, through abiding in him and through obeying his commandments. Look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given it to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus says, I'm going to glorify God by obeying the Father, by laying down my life. And so that brings us to chapter 18 and 19 where we see the greatest demonstration of love um, that could ever be made. The the greatest demonstration of the, the Son towards the Father that he obeyed him unto death. And the greatest demonstration that he did that for us. So we are going to see and read and hear about the glory of God as we read chapters 18 and 19. Read along with me. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Remember how he said the hour has come. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, Father, glorify your name. He's like, this is my cup. This is the cup that the Father has given me. This is what God demands of me and requires of me. And I'm going to walk this out. 
I am going to follow him in obedience and glorify his name. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers made a a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Now the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. Listen to the irony of this statement. They did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled. But they could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, Well, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. See, the Jews couldn't crucify anyone. Only the Romans could. And Jesus had predicted that he would die on a cross. So these Jews who wanted him killed, they didn't, they didn't realize that they were playing right into his hands. They were, they were carrying out the will of God. That Jesus would not die by stoning or being thrown off a cliff, but that he would be, he would be killed by being crucified. Verse 33, so Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Pay attention to how many times it says king of the Jews, king of the Jews in these next paragraphs. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. 
Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now remember the the prophecy that uh, our brother quoted in his prayer earlier. That Jesus was beaten and, and disfigured so much that he no longer looked like a human being. Pilate had him flogged mercilessly. Can you see him coming out on the stage in front of all these people? Just ripped to shreds. A crown of thorns on his head, just blood streaming down his face. With this robe stuck to the wounds, spit all over his face. Pilate brings him out. Behold the man who didn't even look like a man at this point. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself out to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he had an appropriate reaction. He was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you won't speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic called Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation of the Passover, the day when the Passover lambs were slaughtered. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him 
and with him two robbers, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews. But rather, this man said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written? I have written, it stands. He is the king of the Jews. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And even this was to fulfill scripture. Even this madness. This, this murder, this mayhem, it was to fulfill scripture. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. See, God was in complete control of this. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. 2,000 years ago on Good Friday, Jesus did this. Since it was the day of preparation, that is the day when the Passover lambs were killed and prepared to be eaten at the Passover feast. So that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. This is John, the writer of the gospel, who's an eyewitness. He says, I was right there at the cross when Jesus handed his mother off to me to take care of her. I witnessed these things. I saw them stab him in the the side and the blood and the water flow out. I am an eyewitness of his death. And I'm writing these things to you so that you may no longer be dead in your trespasses so that you can believe and have life. Verse 36, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Even after he's dead, the scriptures are still being fulfilled. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, don't break any of my bones. Not one of my bones can be broken, you know. No, Jesus is dead at this point. And yet scripture is still falling right into place. Just like God said. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. 
the piercing of his side, fulfillment of prophecy. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. That was a bold move. He got over his fears. He believed. Nicodemus also, remember him from chapter 3? What do you mean a man has to be born again? That doesn't make any sense. This is Nicodemus. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. It was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, who was a rich man. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Isaiah chapter 53 says that they, they, they made his death with the wicked. That is, he died with those thieves, those criminals, and they buried him among, with, in the tomb of a rich man. So we see that prophecy fulfilled as well. Brothers and sisters, I, I've just read to you uh, from John's gospel, and he's explicitly clear that Jesus did all of these things to glorify God. We have just heard and seen um, the, the obedience of Jesus and how he glorified God, and it is glorious. It is glorious what he did. The way that he suffered, the degree of love that he had for his father and for you and for me, that is glorious. I'm going to ask Jordan if he'll come forward and play through the hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. And as, uh, as Jordan plays through this hymn, would you take your Bible and would you just read back through parts of that story and would you meditate on it and reflect on that? And my prayer is that God would open your eyes to see His glory. Just like that tree today that was drinking in the sunlight, that you would, that God would shine His glory in this place through His Word and that you could just drink it in tonight as you reflect on what He did for us. Powerful, profound, miraculous, amazing, amazing love. After Jordan finishes this song, um, I've asked uh, our sister Alyssa to come forward and she's going to play a song of meditation for us. Um, this song is based on Psalm 22, and, um, which is the psalm that, that Jesus quoted when he was dying on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Alyssa, as Alyssa plays that song, you can continue to meditate on the cross. And after that, we'll have a, a, a final a hymn of response where we get to just stand up and magnify God together um, for his glory and what he did for us. Thank you.